and welcome to How To Be Successful with me, Vicky Paul. I'm an intuitive artist, energy healer and author and I'm on a mission to help you live with more joy, purpose and meaning. How To Be Successful is a straight-talking, heartfelt and enlightening podcast full of soul-centred wisdom, home truths, life-changing insights and free-flowing conversations with some of the most inspiring, knowledgeable and honest voices in well-being, spirituality, self-love and personal development. It's a show for people who are no longer satisfied chasing society's version of success because they're ready to embrace their gifts and thrive on their own terms. Today I am chatting with Swami Purna Chaitanya, the Director of Programs for the Art of Living, a senior teacher trainer with the Sri Sri School of Yoga, spiritual guide and award-winning author. Swami was born and brought up in the Netherlands and from a very young age had a keen interest in the spiritual practices, cultures and philosophies of the East. After practicing various Eastern martial arts for years, he met his spiritual master, Gurudev Sri Sri Ravi Shankar, and he started his journey to explore the traditions of yoga, meditation, mantras and ancient wisdom. Swami dedicates his life to the purity of knowledge, practice and experience, sharing his master's wisdom through the programs of the art of living. And he conducts trainings and oversees various service projects in India and Africa. In this episode, we talk about Swami's journey to becoming a Vedic monk, the inspirational relationship that he has with his guru, his new book, Looking Inward, the difference between mindfulness and meditation, how deepening your meditation practice can help you manage your mind, why we spend so much time focusing outward rather than inward, and how you can change from a life of pursuing happiness to becoming an expression of happiness. I just loved chatting to this beautiful human being. Sit back and give yourself the time to listen to this episode because you are going to get so much out of it. You may need to accept it. Sometimes it asks to accept and sometimes it doesn't. Yes. At least nowadays it asks. Yes. How <laughs> very PC and polite. <laughs> so welcome to the podcast, How to Be Successful. Delighted to have you on. And I mean, I guess you've got so much wisdom and information to share. So I just want to jump straight in before we discuss your new book, Looking Inward. I'd love you to share a wee bit more about your journey because you were born to Dutch and Indian parents in the Netherlands and can I knew fairly early on in your life that there was a specific path for you. So I would love you just to share as much or as little about that journey to becoming a Vedic monk, the director of the art of living, a yoga teacher and a, a global spiritual guide. Um, well, that's quite a mouthful. <laughs> but let, <laughs> let me see if I can um, do justice to that request. Basically, um, Vicky, like you said, in one way, if I look back early on, there was definitely a very strong pull towards a life of service, a life of, well, to use a very heavy term, renunciation, in the sense having very little um, and being very happy with that. <laughs> of course, there are people who may have little, but they may aspire to have more. But this whole idea of just having very minimal belongings, uh, roaming the world, um, helping people doing something to to contribute to make the world a better place or to do something for other people is something that was yeah I would say always there so even though I've never at least at that point I never thought that this is uh, a possibility or a feasible option of course you know like what it is like growing up in the west um, it's definitely not a standard career choice or no. <laughs> vision for the future. Even if you may have such ideas, it would usually be uh, uh, very adamantly discouraged. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I remember like even for example, as a child, when I was still quite young, I would sometimes um, go out in the morning and I would just roam around the neighborhood and come back in the afternoon or in the evening. And just that idea of, of going around and, and I would just observe the world, see people do all their things. Um, but this, yeah, I guess a kind of detachment that, uh, yeah, just you, you're part of the world, but at the same time, uh, you're also a witness. You know? You're not so actively participating, if, if that makes sense. Mm, and um, as I grew up, I remember sometimes during my high school days, I used to also go uh, 
like to one of the, the big cities, like I'll go to Amsterdam, for example. And for a few hours, I would just be roaming around in the main shopping streets, there, the main areas. And I would watch so many people uh, eat so many things, buy so many things, because there are so many shops, right? And, and I would walk around there and just observe all these people doing all these things. And it was almost as if after a few hours, then I would feel saturated. It's like almost as if you've had that experience through those people. And then I was feeling so content. I didn't feel like eating anything, buying anything, shopping. Uh, so every once in a while, every few months, I would do that. And, um, and it would leave me very content. It's like, okay, I've, I've had that experience. But um, as you said, my, uh, my mother was Indian. She was half Indian. She was born in India. Her mother was from the Netherlands, but her father uh, was from India. And even though she grew up in the Netherlands, um, and in that way, like she didn't speak any Indian language, for example. But of course, that, that connection is there. So I remember even when growing up, um, my parents were, I guess you can say, quite spiritual in the sense uh, both of them learned how to meditate during their university days. They studied psychology. They had a group of friends and someone came across a meditation course and they thought, oh, this is interesting. Let us try it out. And they really liked it. So when we grew up, uh, I was raised as a vegetarian, which in those days was still quite unusual uh, in the Netherlands, at least. Um, and I remember that once in a while, my parents used to meditate. And as small kids, we used to wonder. You know? So then once in a while, they would say, okay, you can also join. So then we will sit and they say, okay, you close your eyes, try not to think of anything. You know, like five, six, seven year old. But uh, it made it very interesting for us. Um, and even though it doesn't mean we learned how to meditate properly, I would say at that age, but you know, it leaves you with a kind of interest and also, yeah, it's a kind of exposure, right? Where maybe my peers would be like meditation. They don't even know what it is or it's something odd or, uh, but for us, it was like, yeah, no, no, it's like something you can do. It's nice. So as I grew up, um, I think that that remained. So I remember, for example, when uh, I was in, in high school, uh, I used to practice different martial arts. Your mom said that she introduced you to it, which I understood you kind of excelled at. But it was it was not about necessarily fighting back, but it was about standing your ground. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, that's something she told me much later, uh, where she said that because my mother was was a very wise woman, uh, she was very uh, intelligent also, but very sensitive. And she realized that uh, I was a very gentle child. And even when I was very small, uh, sometimes it was difficult for me to deal with, yeah, you can say the the world in the sense like I'll go to school and some kids will take your toys and I wouldn't understand. Oh, why would you do that? So, or if they're, they're teasing someone else, I would come home with the headache because, you know, for me, I could see that, oh, this, this other kid is suffering or they're doing something nasty. So she realized that, okay, yes, maybe it's good to toughen him up a little uh, because the world has all kinds of flavors, right? And we can't just, I mean, it's not ideal to say, okay, I'm just going to stay in a mountain all by myself or <laughs> may not even be desirable. So yeah, so she she made me uh, first learn judo and then so it it's yeah about that. You know, that sometimes it's okay to push back. Sometimes it's okay to to stand firm and even if you fall down, you get up again. <laughs> so yeah, but then later on that uh, interest in um, in martial arts, especially the Eastern traditions, um, became stronger actually. And along the way, I realized that it was more. Um, the, the aspect of the tradition, the discipline, the, the spirituality, the, that whole idea of having a, a master and you know learning from a master, under a master, that is what really uh, attracted me rather than the fighting part. So after some time, after a few years, I realized that, okay, this, this is what is really uh, pulling me or that is what I'm interested in. But then of course in martial arts, it's very limited. So I wanted to explore further. And that is when I started, uh, you know, like you read some books about uh, Buddhism, Hinduism, different things. Uh, autobiography of a yogi is, of course, a classic. Mm -hmm. uh, and then when I was 16, uh, I met uh, Gurudev Shishri Ravi Shankar, my, my master, my guru. Uh, he came to the Netherlands for a, a big public uh, program, public talk, uh, um, a discourse 
in Amsterdam in one of the main, the, the big halls there. And my mother came to know about this. So she said, a spiritual master is coming from India. He's going to give a talk on spirituality and human values. Um, there's going to be a guided meditation also. Would you like to come? And me and my brother were like, yeah, that sounds really interesting. If you've never met a spiritual master from India, it sounded very magical, you know, mm. exotic. So, <laughs> um, so we went there, but that left a very uh, strong impression because for me, um, apart from the fact that he really looked the part in a sense, you know, the, the white yeah. robes, long beard hair. But I remember that what, one of the things that really struck me and that stayed with me was that on one hand, his language was very simple. It was very uh, easy to understand, nothing hi-fi, very complicated or condescending or, or, you know, like very abstract. It was very practical, very down to earth, but at the same time, very profound. So how to bring this, this, you have this vast wisdom or this deep, profound wisdom, but then how to make it so accessible to people so that was something that really struck me. I was like, wow, okay, you know, this is, and the same about his whole persona. It, even though you could see there was something about him, there was something different, you know, something very special. But at the same time, he was, he was so available. He was so accessible. He was so natural. After the talk, he came down from that stage and he stood there for another half an hour at least uh, just to meet people. Let's say people who want to like to meet him, greet him, you can come up. And for me, that was something really touching. It was interesting because I was so focused on being very respectful that afterwards I felt, oh, you know, maybe I should have just given him a hug or something, but that was later. But uh, no, I, I had a chance to meet him there. And also he conducted a guided meditation, which felt like two, three minutes, but 25 minutes passed like that. So for me, that was also, um, yeah, like a practical experience or the sign that, oh, so this is someone who really has mastered this art of meditation and who can who can convey it who can transmit it who can give you the experience so that was for me i would say the a, a transition or a um, an important point where i went from looking for something to having found something and now starting to explore that i wanted to chat to you about this essence of of guru and the word guru because i totally understand and i think most of my listeners will understand that we do get drawn to people at various times in our lives for support and guidance and wisdom, but sometimes you can rely too heavily on that. And however that sort of guru in inverted commas presents mm. itself to you, how do you find that kind of healthy balance between assimilating the information and the wisdom, but actually distilling it and working out what's your own and what works for you rather than being of overtaken by mm. the wisdom of such a powerful charismatic individual yeah no of course i know it's it's tricky and nowadays of course you know uh, we come across stories also of people who had bad experiences or you know like uh, world is, is full of different things so then sometimes people may be a little worried oh you know like is it a good idea i know in the west especially this whole concept of following someone is you know, it's sometimes frowned upon or you think, you know, why would you want to do that? You know, it's all about empowering yourself. Uh, but then I think for me, if you ask me, to some extent, of course, it's how we take it. But to some extent, I think it's also about the teacher. Like, for example, my experience with him has always been that uh, he... Like, it's not like he doesn't give you a choice. Rather, it's like he empowers you. He says, okay, these are you know, some things that you may want to try or, or what would you like to do? So it's, it's a very open, I would say, conversation. It's not that, okay, this is right or this is what you have to do. And my experience has been that way, that it's, it's his, um, his way of doing things, the way he carries himself, the, the walking the talk part. Mm -hmm. That is what's really inspiring me. And seeing him live a life of service so committedly uh, so fully seeing how you know, his ability to to live this this wisdom to to practice what he preaches is something that that has and continues to inspire me so it it kind of um yeah i think inspiring is the best word inspires me to uh, to strive for that as well so it's my own journey but then you have something to or someone to 
uh, yeah, to look up to or to to relate to or to reflect on or to uh, yeah to get an idea. Okay, where do I want to reach? Where do I want to go? Um, and I think what you said is very true. It's it's very important that we see how what applies to me, what is relevant for me, and how can I make it part of my life? Because everybody's journey is unique. Uh, everybody is unique. And I think the one of the things that has also continued to inspire me that if we look at this ancient Vedic tradition, for example, I prefer to use Vedic rather than Hindu because it's, it's more apt. Um, but this has always been such an integral part of that tradition. If we look at these ancient scriptures, uh, they're always a conversation between a disciple and a master or someone asking a question. And it's a dialogue. It's not a one-way thing that, okay, this is the dogma or this is the thing you have to believe or this is what you have to follow. It's, it's a, you can say, a, an exploring together. Basically, I would like to understand or I would like to learn. I would like to see this uh, from a different angle. And that way, um, different perspectives, different approaches new ideas have always been welcomed and i think that's something that's that's essential for when we talk about our personal growth or when you talk about a spiritual path or a spiritual journey um, because the world continues to change uh, our experience of it continues to change so with that also yeah the the way we go about things will continue to change your book looking inward it's and I love the concept of it. It's about finding the root cause of the anxiety and stress that we all face at various times in life. Because so much of life nowadays is set up to fixing the end result and how that presents itself through anxiety and stress. So can you just tell us a wee bit more about it? Because meditation, most people listen to this podcast will know about meditation and mindfulness. But I still, I don't struggle to meditate, but I struggle to commit to meditating every day. And I have minor kind of, come on, you should be doing this because you know how good it is for you. So I'd love you to just tell us a wee bit more about the book, Meditation Versus Mindfulness and, and what people should feel in meditation. Because like you, when I really became aware of meditation, I was um, training to be a yoga teacher and we had to get up every morning at five o'clock and meditate for an hour. <laughs> and to be honest, for the first sort of four weeks of the, the teacher training, I just sat on the big cushion and just use it as an opportunity to, to catch Take a nice nap. Yeah. <laughs> because I was like, I cannot get rid of what's going on in my head. You know, something's like 30,000 or 50,000, you know, 100,000 thoughts coming into our mind. And, and I find certainly for me, guided meditation or listening to a beautiful piece of music helps facilitate me into that space. But I, I, I'm going to be honest, meditation for me it is about, because it's about finding our, our, our not finding answers, but accessing other spaces, other realms, you know, inner wisdom, finding a sense of peace within that. It's, there's still a part of me, I'm like, oh, when's it coming? <laughs> when am I <laughs> yeah, going to yeah. feel these sensations? So yeah, I, I guess I'd love you just to sort of wax lyrical about the book and, and meditation and, and what people should be sort of feeling and understanding in that process. Yeah, well, I think Vicky, you've touched about almost all the main points in my book, uh, so that's quite a quite an achievement. Um, I think, as you said, the the main intention for me um, in writing the book was to, on one hand, uh, share a lot of the insights, the the wisdom, the things I've learned over the last twenty years with people on how first how the mind works, how to manage our mind, our emotions, get some more clarity because. Without that already, it becomes very difficult. Like you said, we have so many thoughts um, and we have never effectively learned how the mind works. So for me, even during my high school days, this is something that I used to wonder about that, you know, at, at school, sometimes a teacher may tell you to focus, to pay attention, to concentrate, or you may be telling yourself when you're studying that, oh, for God's sake, you know, let me focus, come on, I have to be here now present. But how to do it. And someone telling you, come on, pay attention. It's not that you don't want to do it. I'm sure everybody would love to focus and, and it's because it saves you a lot of trouble later. And even <laughs> when you're studying or when you're even now people may be at work or you're preparing for a, a seminar or you have to write a paper or whatever it may be, we would all love to be able to focus 100% on what we are doing right now because you're more effective, you're more efficient, but how to do it? 
And you telling yourself, oh, come on, I have to focus doesn't make it happen. Just like when you're stressed out, you can keep telling yourself that there's no reason to worry. Everything is going to be fine. I'm okay. Or you're worried about something silly and you know it's very silly. But then how to get that worry out of your head? And the more you think, oh, I don't want to think about it, you think about it more. You know, the more you try to remember something, it doesn't come. And only when you say, okay, never mind, you drop it and you totally drop it and think of something and then suddenly it will come. So one essential thing, and I've covered many of these points in the book, but one essential thing that we need to know to start with is that the laws of the body and the mind are different. They work on, on different laws. And on the level of the body, effort is the key. If you want to become more flexible, you want to train your body, you want to lose weight, you want to learn how to play an instrument, it needs practice. You need to put effort, practice, and you'll achieve your goal or you'll be able to work towards it. But on the level of the mind, it's the other way around. Their effortlessness is the key. So we've always learned that you have to put effort to achieve something, to do something. And the more you're going to put effort trying to manage your mind or deal with your thoughts, you're going to fail miserably. And if you don't know that, yeah, people are struggling. And I know many people who may have sincerely attempted mindfulness, meditation, uh, other practices, and then it becomes so difficult and then they drop it and they say, oh, this doesn't work for me. Um, and in that way, they miss out on something very beautiful, very useful. So, so the right guidance can make a big difference. So that's why in the book, I said, okay, let me share some of these things, many of these things that I've learned to help people either on their way, if they would like to get started with meditation, learn how to manage their mind, um, or people who may have been practicing already on and off or more regularly, but who may want to go a little deeper or maybe uh, you know, pick up some more valuable insights that can help and deepen their practice. And of course, like you said, also some insights on, okay, how do you get more regular? Because many times we know we're supposed to do something, whether it is meditating or something else. We have our new year resolutions and maybe some in between the year as well, but how to really stick to your practice, how to uh, be more regular, how to really integrate it. You, you know, somewhere you know that this is good for me, but how to really make it stick. And yes, how, uh, how do we look at meditation? Because now we see that, especially I think in the last one or two years, so many more people have realized that unless we do something to take also to take care of our mental health, our emotional health. It's very, very difficult to maintain that sense of calm, to regain your inner peace, because the world is changing. There are so many things that are changing or that can change at any time. And till now, many people knowingly or unknowingly have relied on those things for their sense of security, stability, or or sense of inner peace, you know, whether it is the, the balance in their bank account, their job, um, their relationships, their health, their own well-being. And suddenly we saw that many of these things started changing. You, know, you may rely on your friends to blow off some steam, have some fun in the weekend, and suddenly there was a lockdown and you cannot meet them or you cannot meet your family or people who were always very healthy suddenly started worrying, oh, what about, what if I get this virus? You know, what will happen? Or what if I lose my job? Or what if I'm not able to run my business? And of course, all these things can change at any time. That was always the case, but it made us more acutely aware. And then you see that if you rely on that to a great extent for your sense of security or your sense of peace or comfort, then when those things start shaking, that feeling in you also starts shaking. And that's what many people experienced. Many people felt very anxious, very stressed, uh, maybe uh, even depressed or, or worse. And the beauty is that when we explore meditation a little more properly, we find that it is a beautiful way to connect to that part of us which is unchanging. So there is a part in us which is untouched, which remains the same throughout, which has always remained the same. But when we consciously start connecting with that, experiencing that, that can give you a huge amount of inner strength because then you realize that that peace and the joy that you're looking for, it is there inside and nothing, none of these things can actually affect that. So then um, it allows you to 
rely on the one thing that doesn't change, which means that even if everything else changes, you still have that, yeah, that, that space where you can relax, you can feel at ease. And then if things change around you, then if the world sometimes doesn't go as planned or rather than that being something that really shakes you, becomes an opportunity to play where uh, a problem is not a problem, it's a challenge. And I think that is something that, uh, of course, in the book somewhere I've mentioned is also, this is a beautiful shift that I, I wish everybody gets to experience where your life changes from a pursuit of happiness to an expression of happiness, mm. where you can do all the things you do. There is nothing wrong in wanting to have a beautiful house, uh, a wonderful relationships, traveling the world, you know, having very delicious uh, food. But when we do all those things, hoping that, okay, that's going to make me happy or really feel at peace, then what we're actually doing is we keep postponing our happiness while it is possible to instead, instead of living life as a pursuit of happiness, to live it as an expression of happiness, where you come from a space of peace, of joy, of contentment, and from that space, you do all those things, not because you think that's going to make me happy, because you already are, but you can do those things happily. I love that. I, I love, and again, you know, you're a, a writer, it, it's language is so powerful. And just to sort of alter, altering a couple of words around happiness and, and how we perceive and experience it does make a massive shift. I wonder, most people have a sense that we are more than just the physical world that we live in and however that expresses itself either through faith through the religion through some form of spirituality or just a sort of inner knowing gut instinct whatever you want to call it why do you feel that given we know that there is a, another layer another element whatever however you want to phrase it to us do we spend so much time focusing outward well, the thing is, first of all, you need a certain amount of awareness or intelligence or uh, you know, to notice that. You know? It's like um, some people are perfectly happy living their, their daily routine. They get up in the morning, they have a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, uh, go to office, you know, do their things, come home, read a newspaper, whatever, watch a TV, uh, chit chat a bit, go to sleep. And for them, that's okay. More and more now you see that people, even if you ask uh, the youth that, you know, if, if that is going to be your life every day, are you okay with it? They're like, no way, you know? Even the thought of working in the same company for 40 years, they're like, oh, for God's sake, you know, please, no. While earlier that was like, that was wonderful. And it's like, that's how it is. You go and work for a company and unless something unusual happens, that's, that's what you're gonna do, you know? And that's fine. So in the same way, uh, I think I've given this example in the book as well, like a cow is perfectly happy chewing the same grass every day. He doesn't get bored. But for us, you say, oh, the same food every day. Oh, come on, that's very boring. The same way, the more you, you it's, it's, it's evolution. I see, you know, now you see many kids, they say, oh, you know, uh, they say that they get distracted or bored very easily. It's also because at a very young age already, we've experienced so much of the world through social media, through other media, that it's also a kind of maturity where they've seen already so many things. In some way, they've experienced so many things. And it's, you know, but there must be something more. And as you said, like somewhere, if you pay attention, you realize that all these um, short-lived moments of happiness or pleasure, whatever it is, even though they may be there, but it's very short-lived. It doesn't really give you that lasting joy, that lasting peace or contentment that we're looking for. And that is when people yeah, start, start looking inward at, okay, so then where do I find it? And the interesting thing is if you really observe that even that joy that we're chasing outward or that we're experiencing around us through our activities, through the world, actually it is happening inside. So, for example, if you say, okay, you taste something really good, for a moment, you will close your eyes if it's really tasty. Oh, you really taste it. Or you smell something really wonderful. For a moment, your eyes will close because your mind goes inward. And to feel it, it has to go inward because you're feeling it inside. And in the same way, if that's why when your mind is disturbed, 
you can have the most wonderful food in front of you, but you won't be able to really enjoy it. You may be in a beautiful holiday location, but you get a message that your friend has had an accident, then you won't be able to enjoy. And that's what we saw during the lockdown also. People may be living in a wonderful house. They may have great food in front of them, but they were also depressed or they were frustrated or they were anxious. So wisdom is realizing, or if you're really intelligent, you realize that, oh, this joy, this happiness, whatever I'm experiencing is actually happening inside of me. And if I know how to go inside, to go inward, then that is already available. Otherwise, it is these other things that temporarily make your mind go inward and you get a glimpse of that. And then again, you lose it because we get caught up with something else. So nothing wrong with the outside world. It's beautiful. You know, and it's, I'm sure it has been created for us to enjoy. But then if you're wise, then you realize that, oh, but actually this joy that I'm chasing or that I would like to experience is already there inside of me. It's readily available. And meditation is one of the best ways to, to consciously connect to that, experience that. But that is what, what we're all looking for. Like I mentioned in the book as well, people, why do people like bungee jumping or, <laughs> or extreme sports? Or, you know, like if you think about it, it's really peculiar that someone would want to voluntarily jump off a bridge or some great height on this little string and be under the impression that there is a chance I'm actually going to crash now. So you're jumping down. <laughs> Everything has been created to give you that feeling that really I'm falling towards my own death, probably. <laughs> but then there is this, 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 you have some confidence or faith that at least this thing will hold, so I will live. But then at that moment, because everything is suggesting that, yes, really, maybe I'm going to crash. So your mind stops. It comes fully to the present moment, because in that situation, who's going to worry about what your boss said about you yesterday or what groceries you still have to buy? Who cares? You're falling to the ground at a great speed. So your mind stops. It's fully in the present. And because of that, you experience that happiness, that joy, something that is there already inside. Because for a moment, your mind is not all over the place. It's not scattered, distracted, worried. And that is what makes people feel nice. So there are easier ways to experience that. <laughs> <laughs> which are probably safer, uh, cheaper, and that can give you a much more lasting experience of that. But the interesting thing is that if you notice any experience in life that makes you feel good, that gives you some sense of happiness or peace, it is because for a moment, it is bringing your mind to the present, whether it is good food, whether it is sex, whether it is a scary movie, anything. Mm -hmm. And the beauty is, the more you learn how to declutter your mind how to still your mind and how to go inward then that becomes readily available mm -hmm. I, I i ski and and for me i call it my moving meditation for the very same reason that i mean i've done it all my life so i'm not worried about what i'm doing or yeah, thinking you're not thinking doing, and it's just it, you know you're in the most glorious of being in the mountain in nature and it's not even about hurtling down the mountain at 50 miles an hour. It's just the fact that there is nothing else happening mm. in my body other than what is happening in that very moment. And, and you know, taking the energy around about me from, from the scenery, which is, is, you know, it is what it is. Where do you stand on this sort of moving meditation in that way versus actually sitting down and, and meditating in the stillness of your home? Does it matter which way you meditate? Well, the thing is, um, what you said is very beautiful because if you think about it, you just being there totally, being with what you're doing is basically the whole concept behind mindfulness. If we look at mindfulness practices, um, it's about being mindful. It's about being fully here and now being with what is happening or what you're doing. So not being stuck in the past or the future. And of course, nowadays we see that many times the word, the word mindfulness and meditation, these words are interchanged. Um, mm. uh, the same thing can be called mindfulness, can be called meditation. Um, even many people may prefer mindfulness over meditation because 
uh, especially if we look at, for example, the corporate sector, yeah. uh, it, it looks more clean, uh, uh, it looks less uh, airy-fairy, um, more professional. So I've had this experience where a company approached me and, or approached us and they said, you know, we would like to have these sessions for our executives. And we given them, uh, we've given them a concept note, a draft that, okay, this is what we can do. And they said, you know, this looks really nice. Uh, just one thing, would you mind if we call it mindfulness instead of meditation? Because we think it will appeal more to people. So this is a common um, phenomenon nowadays. Uh, this is happening a lot. But if we actually look at the, the ancient traditions where these practices come from, you know, most of the modern mindfulness practices um, come from the Buddhist tradition. And again, that comes from the yogic tradition. So if we look at these scriptures, it's very interesting because they have a word in Sanskrit for many of these practices, what we call dharana. Dharana means where you consciously bring your mind to something, you focus it, and it could be it could be your breathing, it could be a sensation, it could be a concept, a visualization, whatever it may be. But you're consciously bringing your mind to one thing, one point, and there is some effort involved because whenever it wanders, whenever it goes, you bring it back. But then for meditation, there is another word. They say dhyana. Dhyana is, you can say, um, in one way, you could say a, a next step or the next level where the mind that has become focused, that has come together, that is no longer scattered, then dissolves and you go beyond the mind. So many of the, the so-called meditations that we see nowadays, whether it is visualizations, whether it is, no, yeah, like you say, we can have the the, the meditations in motion, like the walking meditations or uh, body scans or, so these still involve some uh, activity of the mind. You're still doing something. And that may be focusing or it may be something else, but in some way you're still engaging the mind. So that doesn't mean it doesn't have many benefits, but then when we talk about real meditation, like I've spoken about in the book as well, then that is one step further where you actually transcend the mind and allow it to go back to its source. And that is where we find that there is a whole different set of benefits because that is where you not only uh, focus the mind, but actually allow it to rest very deeply in a, and it is a, a rest that is even deeper than sleep, for example, for our mind. And especially nowadays with the amount of impressions that we have to digest, uh, like it's, I, I would say it's a necessity. It's not a luxury anymore because now many times people have this experience. You sleep for six, seven, eight hours. You wake up in the morning. Physically, this is enough for your body. This is plenty. But then mentally, you don't feel so fresh. You wake up in the morning and it's still a little foggy or you say, okay, let me have a cup of tea first or coffee or, or a Red Bull. <laughs> because yeah. we have so many thoughts so many dreams it's not like when you were young that you jump out of the bed and you're fresh and fruity and say oh it's a new day i'm ready so meditation real meditation is going to that point where you go even beyond the conscious mind the thinking mind and allow it to go back to the source for some time and that is also where uh the experience, you can say higher states of consciousness, uh, it, it nourishes your intuition. So many of the, the, the impressions, emotions, things that we have accumulated get released. And that is when afterwards you feel so fresh, there is so much more clarity. Uh, so that is something that uh, it's not impossible but it's almost impossible to do that for example when you're walking or doing something else and, mm -hmm. uh, so that is where yeah meditate there's a whole different dimension of meditation that uh, that nowadays many people are still missing out on that's why in the book i made a, a whole chapter about the distinction between mindfulness and meditation because many people may be very sincerely meditating but uh, listening to some uh, soothing nature sounds or music or uh, doing a guided meditation. Of course, not, not all guided meditations um, cannot get you there. Definitely not. There are guided meditations that can put you into that space. But uh, if it's only visualizing and doing things and taking your attention to different places, and then 
we are still on the level of dharana. We are not going beyond yet. Okay. Because you talk a lot about mantras and the power of sound and the frequency and the energy in sound, which you've kind of semi-answered my question. I, I presume when you talk about meditation, it's a silent meditation then, not taking your awareness or having your awareness lifted by sounds or a candle or you know some other form of sensory stimulation. It's definitely not required. It can be a distraction in the sense that uh, it still keeps your mind here. So um, at the same time, of course, the, the whole principle or concept of mantras in the ancient tradition was actually uh, one of the main purposes was that it can also help you to transcend for your mind to go beyond. Uh, because the actual definition of the word mantra in Sanskrit is manana trayati iti mantra, which means that which allows the mind to dissolve and for you to go beyond the mind. Those sounds, those vibrations were called mantra. Mm -hmm. Which is very interesting. So it's not that any word can be a mantra. Of course, nowadays we have the word yeah. mantra itself is used in so many contexts. But actually, those were specific sounds whose vibration whose energy uh, will allow the mind to settle very easily and for you to go beyond the mind. So there are meditation techniques uh, in the art of living. We also teach one such technique where you uh, get initiated, you get a, a special mantra, which is used to meditate. So that doesn't mean you keep repeating it, but that mantra will allow the mind to settle very quickly so that you can go beyond the mind. So that way, um, yes, sounds, vibrations can be useful. But if you just put some nice music and then you sit, it's very relaxing. It may help the mind to settle, but then it may not allow you to go beyond the mind. So like if I meditate, for example, I meditate silently. I don't need any uh, background. You're a professional though, Swami. You've been doing it for all of your life. <laughs> how, yeah, how yeah but I'm teaching people to do the same. They seem to be having good experiences. So. Yeah, I'm joking, I'm pulling your leg. <laughs> what kind of for us to sort of fit it into our lives mm. what should we be starting off with i guess the the more you get into it and the more you recognize and realize the the, the positive impact that it has then that's an individual thing about how much you set the time but what should we be looking at as a as a daily practice so the thing is uh, from what i've learned from my master what we are teaching people what i'm practicing myself is that for your normal daily routine uh, 15, 20 minutes is enough. And then it's great if you can do it twice a day, like morning, evening, because in the morning you, you set, uh, it's like you sync up for the day, you're balanced, you're fresh. And then I like to, if I, if I can fit it in my schedule, I like to do one more uh, meditation before dinner so that I have a, I'm like fresh for the rest of the evening as well. And I know many people who, for example, they come back from office, they say, okay, let me just do a quick meditation just to get the most out of my evening as well um, but so that that amount of time is good enough if you if you know how to meditate properly that's enough it's like uh, you know when you take a shower uh, however nice it is after 10 15 20 minutes you're clean you know i mean if you want you can spend an hour in the shower but it's not going to make you more clean it may make you more wrinkly but <laughs> <laughs> in the same way when you're brushing your teeth you know you brush your teeth uh, i mean i hope people do but like say morning evening uh, preferably so you brush for a few minutes and then it's done and if you want you can brush more but it's not going to become more clean mm -hmm. so um, of course there are uh, different types of meditation and we also offer meditation retreats for example where for a few days people can come and we have some longer sittings beautiful guided meditations uh, go a little deeper but for your daily routine that much is good enough so if twice a day you can take out that 15-20 minutes uh, which is very doable um, yeah, yeah. to fit into a schedule of course some people say oh but still 20 minutes is a lot but it has been my and many other people's experience that those 20 minutes will make you so much more effective later on that you easily earn it back mm -hmm. I love that you know your director programs for the art of living which I even love the title as an artist myself i run intuitive painting workshops called the art of well-being and and this is all about focusing on the individual and their joy their happiness because it's it's quite rightly the belief that when we focus on ourselves and we have that sense of balance and peace and joy then you cannot be anything other than 
a loving soul on this planet and, and the ripple effect sends outward. Because there's so much going on at the moment, and, and particularly in the UK and Europe, all this kind of cost of living stuff and inflation and you know this war that's happening um, with Putin and the Ukraine, there's a lot of challenge that people are dealing with. Just as we wrap up, and I will include a link to your website and also that of the art of living, if there's any guidance or wisdom that you could offer to support people in managing other than the meditation, because I think that's obviously a huge part just of life in general that, that we, we can be using to help us to find that inner joy and peace. But if there's any kind of wisdom or guidance you can offer to help people manage themselves in amongst what's happening in, in the world around about them. Well, yeah, the challenge is always that, you know, it's like you've written a book of 200 pages and people say, can you just tell us in two, three sentences, like what is of the course, book about? Of course. You know? it's a so, question, of course, yeah, yeah no, so in, in that way, I mean, it's very cheesy to say, but of course, I would like to invite people to definitely check out the book because in looking inward, I have uh, touched upon many of these things. You know? It's not just the meditation part. It's also, like I said, how to manage your mind, how to get more clarity that what is it that is... Uh, making me feel uncomfortable, how to effectively attend to that, uh, your anxiety, your stress, also to get that clarity that what do I really want? What is really important for me? Because I think, like you said, these are very challenging times. And along with the maybe the stress that comes along with it, I've seen also many more people are reevaluating their life that, okay, where, where am I going? What is really important? What do I want to focus on? So, of course, the book is there. And um, as you know, as we were discussing earlier, of course, uh, for those who are, um, who are quick and who happen to hear this podcast, uh, they can also meet me live at the Mind, uh, Body, Spirit, Wellbeing Festival in London. If, the, if people are in, in and around London uh, at Olympia, then, of course, that's a chance also to meet me, to meditate with me, to attend my workshop there. But... Um, and apart from, like, I do more sessions uh, online as well. The Art of Living offers many programs. Um, one thing that is very effective is, as a practical tool, apart from meditation, is also breathing techniques, uh, the pranayamas. So uh, in Art of Living, we have a special course for that, that people can join anytime. It's offered all over the world, online, now offline also, we are starting again. Um, but also, you know, I've uh, it's been my experience that uh, like I said, even that awareness where you realize that, okay, I'm being shaken. I, I don't feel comfortable, but what is causing that? So even if people say, okay, I could, you could sit and make a, make a small list that, okay, today, let me make a list of all those things that I think I cannot do without that. If they suddenly change or disappear, I don't know what to do with myself, or I don't know how I will manage. And it could be anything. It could be your job. It could be your dog. It could be, uh, you know, your favorite uh, brand of cereal or, you know, whatever it may be. But you can make a list of those things and then honestly sit for a moment and look at it. Okay, why is it that I think I cannot do without these things? Because you did without them at some point in life. As a small kid, you were very happy just playing in the mud. You may not have had your favorite stereo system or your, your car or your wife or whatever it may be. So when we look at that, that doesn't mean that instantly everything will change, but it gives you a lot of clarity. To, okay, somewhere I have started uh, conditioning my happiness where I say, okay, I because this is something somewhere knowingly, unknowingly, we have decided. You say, I cannot do without this, but there are many people in the world without that who are very happy <laughs> they are perfectly fine the same way that you feel that why are people so upset about this thing it's okay no doesn't matter so when we realize that all these things that are affecting us it could be some problem in society it could be some problem in, at home at work uh, it could be anything but when we start realizing that these are just triggers that are pushing some button inside of us and when we realize that, oh, that means that if I attend to me, if I look inside this world that I have created inside of me, then that means I can also change it. Because what many people, what scares many people or what makes us feel anxious or uh, what makes us feel uneasy is that there are all these things happening outside of us that are affecting how we feel 
but we feel that this is not something that's in our hands. You know, like there, there may be a, a conflict now between Russia and Ukraine, it's affecting, impacting people all over the world. And whether we like it or not, whether we agree or not, many people feel that it's not in our hands. Some other people have decided something in the same way, whether it is inflation, whether it is a pandemic, whether it is so many other things, many of these things are very big, they're outside of us. And you feel a little helpless because it's like you're at the mercy of this world that keeps changing. And you're not in control of how you feel or how secure you feel, how comfortable you feel. While the beauty is that when we attend to the conditioning inside of us, then you can actually become free from all these, these feelings. And it doesn't make you inert. It doesn't make you insensitive. Rather, it really empowers you because you will become a source of solace, not just for yourself, but also for the people around you. And I think in today's world more than ever, this is essential that we all start taking that responsibility for our feelings. And uh, there are plenty of tools. There is this wisdom available for people to start on that journey or continue it. Because the moment we take responsibility for how we feel, for our sense of well-being, contentment, peace, that can make us lighthouses for the people around us as well. And in today's world, this is desperately needed because there are so many people who are struggling and in our own way, even that few people around you, if you can help them also to, you know, to find that, uh, that inner peace, that joy again, that will empower people also to take responsibility, to reach out to the people around them. And uh, yeah, it's definitely not a lost cause. Oh, that's wonderful and beautifully put. Thank you so much for your time, your energy, your wisdom. It's an absolute pleasure and honor to have you on the podcast. It was a pleasure from my side as well. It was lovely uh, talking to you, Vicky. you enjoyed listening to this episode and if you'd like to connect with me then head over to my website vickypaul.com or you can find me on instagram at vickyjpaul. Why not take advantage of a special subscriber only 10% discount off my personalized soul portraits? All you need to do is get in touch using the promo code podcast21 that's podcast21. And don't forget, you can buy my book, How to Be Successful, available anywhere that you buy books, or you can also get it via the link in the show notes. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And please continue to share this podcast with anyone you think might find it useful. I'd also really love if you could write a review because that helps myself and my guests get discovered by more kindred spirits. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.